Welcome to Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness. And I'm Ann Roby, an HR executive and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. I've been so looking forward to today's conversation with our guest, Layla Taraf. She's a good friend of Anne's, and I met her a few years ago at a birthday celebration for Anne in Cabo San Lucas and really enjoyed the time we spent chatting. I had the opportunity to listen to her new book on Audible, Strong Like Water, a few months ago, and it was like spending a bunch of time with her. She narrates the book, and so it's the sound of her voice, and I really felt like I'd been invited into her life, which has just made me even more excited about the conversation today. And then, as I was prepping for our interview, I discovered we went to the same college. So yet another reminder of how we are so often connected to each other in ways we don't even know. Yeah, well, speaking of that, I met Layla years ago at an HR dinner. It was sponsored by a recruiter or somebody that had wanted to bring a bunch of HR leaders together. And let me tell you, I think I've done exactly one of these dinners in my entire life. So I met a bunch of people and thought they were all nice and then went home and went on my way. And then it was probably a couple months after that, that Layla and I ran into each other in a yoga class. And she was so kind to come up to me and reintroduce herself. And it just sort of exactly what Sherry said. It just sort of reminded me of the fact that we are all connected. And frankly, I just, I think Layla and I were destined to be friends, <laughs> which I'm so happy about. Um, in fact, we're such great friends that we had the opportunity to go to Africa a couple years ago together. And we trekked with the gorillas in the rain. And I cannot tell you all, it was such an amazing experience. And I'm, I too am just so excited that Layla's here today to share some of her story with us. And I don't want to say much more because I really want to get into her talking about her own story. But I have gotten to witness the birthing of this amazing book, which is about to come out in April of 2021, already available on Audible, depending on when you're listening to this. But I really encourage everybody to go take a listen or, or read it, depending on when you're hearing this. But I'm just going to pause because I want to hear more from Layla. And so, Layla, we're going to start in a way similar to how we've started with our other guests. And I'd, just, I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey, how you got to where you are now, any aha moments that maybe led to what your life and experience is right now. Thank you, Anne. And hi, Sherry. It's nice to see you again. That's always such a big question. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> you know, professionally, sort of the highlight on my resume is I have been working, as you know, in human resources or people or people ops or employee experience. We rebrand every few years <laughs> for the last 20 years. And it was not a career that I chose for myself. You know, I went to business school at Berkeley and I thought I was going to be something different. But I was given the opportunity to move into HR. And it really was a gift because this industry, as you know, has evolved and changed so much over the last 20 years. Along the way, I got married and I had a child. I'm originally from Beirut and my family moved to Las Vegas when, when I was seven. My father was in the casino industry. And we moved to Vegas in the early days when it was literally Frank Sinatra and Dino and the Rat Pack. And I've been in the Bay Area now for 30 years. Just crazy. I'm like, who is this person? <laughs> I, I don't know that I ever aspired to, to write a book, but I went through a period of a few years that were really very, very hard and very challenging. And like all of us, right, we all have periods of adversity in our life. 
and they uh, the, the details might be different, but I think whatever they are, whether they happen to us or within us, or whether it's illness or death or accidents, I think they provide opportunities for us to pause and go within and reflect and really do some self-reflection and some examining. And if you do do that, when these moments arise, I think that's the opportunity that we have where we can grow. And so when that happened to me, I, I had three big losses in my life in a handful of years. It was first my husband when my daughter was three. And then my father very quickly after that had a stroke at 68 and then passed and then my mother and so up until that point, I, you know, felt like I had this blessed life and everything was happy, 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 joy, joy. And then it was just boom, boom, boom. And for me, that was like, okay, <laughs> uh, I, I, I need to, to pause and figure out how I'm going to, how I'm going to go through all this. So that is a little bit about me and my story and what I ended up writing a book about, not because I think my suffering is any greater than anybody else, but because that period of time provided such an opportunity for me to learn so much about myself and evolve and grow, I think, to someone who is more whole. And as I started thinking about my journey and talking to friends and being one of them, more often than not, people would say, gosh, you know what? I can relate with that. You know what? That's happened to me. And again, even though the details were different, I realized we are all on the same journey, right? We're all on this journey back home to ourselves. And the moment that we choose to do that is going to be different for all of us. And then, so I just thought if my story can help anybody else on their journey, provide some light and some ease, then... I really want to do that because I remember being in the middle of it, really suffering and tormented and not knowing which way was up. And there were a few key books that helped light the way for me. And I think maybe I had that in my subconscious as I started thinking about writing a book. You said something that just struck me. So much of what you just said was so interesting and powerful. But your comment that we're all on a journey to find our way back to ourselves, which makes me think of one of my all-time favorite quotes from Ram Dass, we're all just walking each other home. And I just had this picture when Anne said she was there watching you birth this book and you commented talking about Anne, I just had this picture of you on this journey back to yourself and Anne walking you back home. I don't know. It just, I actually, I'm just getting a little teary eyed as I'm saying that. Okay. Well, that's like lovely because <laughs> I, I wish I could take some, some credit there. But I, and I do think all of us, right? Like that's part of the role that those of us that have had some challenges in our lives and have figured out ways to kind of move past. I, I do think like what an amazing thing that we can do that for each other. And so Layla, I just want to start to extend Sherry's question a little bit. Like, are there, other folks that have helped you along your journey and what have you learned from them in that process? That's a great question. I have never been great at asking for help. It was one of my big aha moments. When you say, what were your aha moments? I realized I had taken on this hero persona pretty early in my life. That was part of my narrative, part of my story. I got it. 
no problem. <laughs> and <laughs> I realized part of my journey was, and this came out actually in a session with uh, my therapist. There's a lot I don't remember, and I think I suppress it, but th- there was this moment with him where I was kind of bragging, like, you know, I'm just so low maintenance. He's like, well, what, what does that mean? And I'm like, you know, like, I'm just like, I'm just one of these women, like, you know, I could just kind of pick up and then go and, and, you know, I don't need, I don't need a lot. So wait, can we just pause for a moment? Because for our listeners, you can't see Layla right now, but we can see her because we're on a video. (laughs) She's making these funny faces and I wish you all could see her. I'm sorry to interrupt, but go ahead, Layla. It's perfect. I love it. (laughs) You outed me. And I remember I was looking at his face and he's not buying it. Right. And uh, and he looks at me, he goes, so if you act like you have no needs, how do they get met? Mm. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> uh, and I just like in that moment, I'm like, of course, like if I pretend that I have no needs, no one is going to offer me any help. And it, that was a moment where I realized that part of this narrative I was living in that no one, I couldn't rely on anyone was because I had set it up that way. Mm. (laughs) And so it wasn't until I heard that, that I started, you know, and it goes to, it goes to the saying when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Well, the student wasn't ready for like 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) And, And finally I'm like, Oh, okay. And so I think my early teachers were, books that I read. And then when I got into the coaching program at New Ventures West, and it was just such a community of healers and beautiful, soulful people that lived in their truth, that had the courage to live in their truth and held the space for those of us who were not connected when we walked in to bring us back. And that is still the the most beautiful, richest community that I have. And and it's part of that community now as well. It's you get a taste of what real intimacy and connection and authenticity means. And then at least for me, nothing else quite, you know, just uh, other friendships. I mean, look, there's all sorts of friendships and acquaintances and you can go and you can have fun and just sort of, you know, have a cocktail or whatever. But but really, really in the and those deep conversations, like the ones we're having now, those are the ones that fill you up, at least at least for me. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's the real thing. One of the things that you're really touching on is the ability to be vulnerable and to have relationships in which you can start to build that vulnerability muscle. And we've, we've talked about that. We did an entire episode on it, and it's come up in the conversations we've had with other people. And as I listen to you talk about, no, I got it. I don't need anything. I'm good. There's such a wall around protecting oneself in that place, right? And this, I'm not going to be vulnerable. Like, I'm not going there. And it's it's really so beautiful to hear you talk about how that wall slowly started to come down and because it's a very vulnerable thing to ask for what we want and Mm -hmm. to own what we need yeah absolutely really really well said and what I didn't realize for a long time is I didn't want to admit to myself that um, I didn't get what I needed when I was a child. So it was 
and I don't know, I don't know why we pick up these narratives, but for me, I decided, well, I'm just going to pretend like I don't really want it. And so I carried that into my life. Like, it's okay. It's all right. I'm fine. You don't have to do anything for me. I'm good. In fact, I think I even felt like I was a burden, right? Like that my mm-hmm. needs were burdensome. I, I'm telling you, I still, even, even after all this work and these insights, I still have that as a part of me. I just recognize it a little bit more now. And what I really see is when you put up a wall to take away the hurt, you stop the good from coming in too. Like, I wish there was a way you could filter and keep out the baddies, but let the goodies come in. There isn't. <laughs> if there wasn't a way, I'd have figured it out, I swear. But there just isn't. You got to expose yourself. It's such an important point. And so, so true. And I think a lot of us have felt that when we've been kind of in those really low moments, right? To, in order to actually move past it is to really, uh, you know, allow yourself to be seen, allow that soft underbelly to be shown. And it struck me when you were telling your story about sort of the trifecta of tragedies that happened, that you said you figured out you needed to pause. And I'd love to hear you unpack that a little bit. Was that conscious? Did you know you needed to pause? Were you sort of forced into it? Just tell us a little bit more about that. That's such a good question, Anne. Oh, I definitely was forced into it. I mean, this was a street fight. I was not giving up. <laughs> and I, I really think, I mean, I wish I could say, oh, I was so enlightened and I knew and I stopped and I meditated. Uh-uh. I, I, I went down I fighting and screaming. And I really think the universe just thought she is one tough <laughs> fill cookie. in the blank and how about cookie tough cookie, cookie. <laughs> one tough cookie and i really think it, no less than three losses would have done it for me mm. and i think because my tendency to reframe to the positive that you're just not looking at it the right way that it's fine it's going to be a growth opportunity and 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 those are great qualities and it helped me for a long long time but at some point the story you tell yourself that saves you begins to hinder you And I think when I really felt that was right after Daniel, my husband had passed, my daughter was three and it happened very quickly, very tragically. He died of an accidental overdose. It was shocking. The fact that it was shocking goes to how much in denial I was. And here was this little girl who had lost her father and was grieving And I didn't know how to grieve. I had never allowed myself to be sad, let alone go into the depth of grieving. And I remember those early days and weeks with her where I just was, I felt like a complete fraud. I just, you know, and she she would cry and she would say, daddy. And I just, my skin was crawling. Like I did not want to be with those feelings. Like I wanted to run away. That my, my Everything inside me was like, oh, get me out of here. But I couldn't. Like, how could right. I do that? Right. Not to that little so person. I yeah. I had to stay and I had to do it. And And what you realize in hindsight is there is, that is how you learn how to, be sad, to grieve, to be vulnerable. There's no magic to it. There's no, there's no playbook. You just be it. You just do it. And you have to feel it 
And the really sucky thing about it is you don't know how long it lasts. Like I felt like I was crying for years. My, I went to the, my therapist for a year after Daniel died, whom I had seen 10 years earlier. And I think for a year, I never stopped crying. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like myself. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's enough. It just kept on coming. It's like it, it got untapped and there was so much in there. I, ne- I just didn't. This is horrific. I don't know if you want to put this on the podcast. I will never forget. My, I think it was like two years after Daniel died and like maybe five or six months after my father died, I was on like a date. I was trying to date again. And I remember, I don't know, this poor guy said something that touched something in me. I was in such a raw state. I literally started tearing and I, I saw him. He's like, oh, geez. <laughs> Let me guess, that did not lead to a second date? Yeah, that was the last, that was the first and the last date. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's not that embarrassing, but I realize now, like, I would never have been that person before. And I just, you know, my whole ego structure fell apart. Yeah. And you you have to break down before you build up again. And so that was, that was the journey. There was so much I was moved by in your book. And one of the things that I found so profoundly moving was the way you talked about your daughter and how she became one of your teachers. Mm. And it was so beautiful the way you wrote about watching her and how much you learned from that. And I just, I'd love to hear a little bit of how that played out for you. Well, I think kids, you know, if you pay attention, they are our greatest teachers because they're so authentic. They're so real, right? They're so close to their, they start, we all start being really, really close to our emotions. And I was at the time so aware of how she just had zero problem, just feeling everything that was coming up. I'm sad, I'm happy and going back and forth. And she had no issue what I really noticed was if she was upset or she was sad, she just let herself be it and feel it and have it work through her, like go through her her whole body and then just sort of dissolve and come out the other side. And then she was okay again. And I was like, how how did she do that? I mean, it really (laughs) was kind of amazing to me. And I realized, I saw firsthand, of course, I was sort of reading and studying and learning that, you know, your emotions get stuck in your body physically if you don't release them. And if you do allow yourself to process, they, they, they move out. And then they're sort of like energetically, that channel is free. And you can understand it intellectually, but to experience it and to see it was really quite something else. And the other thing that happened with Nadia, she started when she got to be, I think, five or so, started to try to be there for me. Like she started, Mm. mommy, I can help you. I can do this, mommy. And I remember at the time I had Nadia seeing her own therapist. (laughs) She was at five because she started regressing in different ways. And I remember I said to her, her doctor, Dr. Litter, yeah, she's doing this. He said, well, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. (laughs) And I had this moment where I realized that's what I did with my mom. Mm -hmm. I saw her in a vulnerable state. I went to help her, but she didn't know any better. She was a young mother. 
she was raised by a, a child mom. My grandmother got married at 17. My mom was in her early 20s when she had me. And when I went in to save her, to fix her, to be her helper, she allowed it, which then unnaturally reversed the roles, right? right? And I, there was that moment in time with my daughter where I saw she was trying to do the same thing. And so it was, usually these moments go by me and I don't realize what's happening. This time I got it. I'm like, okay, this will not happen. And it was really a conscious decision that I will break the cycle right here. It's probably the thing I'm most proud of Wow, in my life. I mean, there's so many gifts in that, right? There's the gift of almost nurturing and seeing you, your little, as, as you are a small person, because you're now seeing it through the eyes of your daughter. And then just sort of the wisdom of figuring out how to let those emotions flow through. I mean, that's just such a, you would not wish this tragedy on any, on anybody, much less your beloved three-year-old. And what an amazing gift that came out of it for you in terms of accessing your emotions. How do you see yeah. that playing out? Because that was now 10, 15 years ago, right? So how do you see that playing out today? And how has that changed the way that you live your life and lead in, in your work and all of that? I think the biggest way that it has changed me and shows up on a daily basis is I'm just much more able to stay with the hard conversations. Right. And oh my gosh, even in the last, you know, seven, 10 years, human resources, what's expected from us, what's expected from leaders at companies, even in the last three years, is so much greater than it used to be. Yeah. You know, we used to talk about the VUCA world, right? Mm -hmm. The the virtual complex and ambiguous volatile. Well, we're living it, right? Yes. Global pandemic. And employees today, millennials and Gen Z just expect a lot more, right, than Gen X and baby boomers. And the level of transparency, the focus on diversity and inclusion, it is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> I almost think of like leading in 2010, like it was 1950 Pleasantville in some <laughs> way, you know, there's no social media or early days. And I just think you really cannot mail it in these days. You have to show up every day. And I am having honest authentic, vulnerable conversations every single day. And also, again, the, the gift of COVID, I swear I'm not free framing to the positive, COVID's bad. But the gift is that it's taken down the walls between home and work. And so if there ever was a time where you brought like only your professional self to work and left your personal, you know, sort of persona at home, that's just gone too, right? right. Which I think is great. And so we relate to each other as people and it requires you to be more vulnerable. And, you know, when you make a mistake, you own it. And when someone is upset, you stay with it. So I find it much more fulfilling. If, if, I, if I parachute back 10 years ago and look at today, I think I couldn't have done it had I not mm. gone through my path, 100%. Mm. I wanna grab onto something you just said in that whole boatload of wisdom you just took us through around it used to be that there was a wall up between this is my personal persona, this is my work persona, I don't bring my personal to work, I don't bring my work into my personal life. And I have for a very long time thought that just never ends well. 
even though it sounds great in theory from a balance standpoint, because we are a single like organism, right? We can't actually leave part of ourselves at home or leave part of ourselves at work. And so I would love to hear a little bit about some of the ways that that has enhanced your life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would not have said that I had a different persona at work versus home, but I definitely compartmentalized. Like I didn't bring my home stuff into my work. And I think the other way around. But what I realized after Daniel died, you know, I, I went to, I mean, I went back to work. We had his memorial service on a Saturday and I went back to work on Monday. That's how crazy I was. Wow. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm good. I got it. And I went back to work for about six months. And every day I started leaving like a little earlier and and. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, what's the, And I just couldn't, you know, for obvious reasons, but that is how much on autopilot I was. Hmm. And I just couldn't compartmentalize the way that I used to. Whatever was happening, you know, if I was unhappy or stressed, I just pushed it down and I went to work. And I put on this, you know, I got it because my strong, capable persona. Mm-hmm. And I think because I, I couldn't compartmentalize anymore and the walls had to come down that I allowed myself to become a whole person, as you're saying, I feel a lot more centered, a lot more grounded. I definitely show up in ways now at work that are a little horrifying to me because I show more of my side that I hide, right? With you know, but because I'm able to say, "Ooh, sorry about that. That's not my that's not my best look." Or I, you know what? I'm really sorry. I got triggered on that, and here's what happened for me. And so, but but then again, that brings you closer, right? So, right. am I perfect? No, but at least now people can see all of me, right? Yes. And so I'm more accessible in that way. I didn't mm. realize that before. I think before I was I was more unidimensional and maybe a little maybe a little scarier. I don't think I was ever super scary. <laughs> I talked to a friend the other day who I've worked with twice, once at Walmart, once at Pete's. So she's known me for, you know, 20 years. And I was thinking about sort of my transformation and I said, Debbie, I said, did I used to be a bitch? <laughs> like, <laughs> do I have one big blind spot? And she she thought about it for a minute, a little too long for my liking. But, <laughs> and she goes, you know, she said, she said, no, I would never say that you were that. She said, but she goes, I never could imagine my coming to you with a challenging situation and having the conversation go my way. I said, well, what do, you, what do you mean? She goes, well, you just didn't make enough space for it. Mm. Right. And so I think I did a great job hiding my irritation by being, you know, quote, nice. But I was so impatient with anything short of like, just, let's just get this done, for God's sakes. And if you really were struggling with something, you weren't going to come to me because I wasn't going to make space for it. Right. And look at all those opportunities that I lost. Right. But what an amazing thing now that you have all these things to share, because what you just said about showing up and, you know, if you have an imperfect moment that you are then willing to clean it up, you're not only allowing people to sort of show up with you in that way, but you're also modeling for how other people can do it as well. Yes. You're giving permission. That's right. It's so easy. That was one of the things I learned, you know, it's like, 
honey, to my daughter, you can be imperfect. It's okay. You don't have to live to the societal, but <laughs> while all the time maintaining my perfect, my right. perfect image, right? <laughs> right. It's like, oh, okay. I have to be imperfect too. <laughs> and yeah, that's exactly it. So I, I made a point and I still make a point of saying, Ooh, today was hard. Well, what happened, mom? I had this conversation. I didn't show up well, you know, I, I, and I and I just kind of, you know, talk about what's happening so that she can see me learning and growing as well, that life just isn't so easy for me. That's fantastic. I think that adds such a depth to the connection. Now, I'm imagining your daughter's relationship with you and how much more deeply she has the opportunity to feel connected because she sees so much of you. And the same thing for the people you work with, right? It's very hard to feel connected to somebody, especially professionally, that's kind of keeping you at arm's length, you know, with a little bit of that don't, either I'm so perfect that it's like, I'm not showing any of my imperfections, or it's like, just don't come any closer. It's so true, Sherry. And also HR, right? I mean, I think depending on your experiences, there are still people that think HR, they're like the rules people, or you go there when you have a problem or you're in trouble. And so I just think already there's this feeling like you're going to the principal's office in some way, <laughs> right? And being able to really be human with people and and show vulnerability and give permission for them to do the same by modeling it, I think, I hope that contributes to a the culture that we're trying to build right and i know that these have become kind of buzzwords but i've been living this and feeling this for so long it is all about connection right yes. it's connection it's creating the conditions for for people to make mistakes and try again and try to achieve hard things together yeah that's kind of the the whole fun of it and that only happens when we bring our whole selves to work and and bring our heart and have the courageous conversations and it's not easy and i think you know you get past a certain age and at least for me i feel like it's kind of our job now to give back to educate to role model because how else would you know the younger generation know especially with everything going on today there are so many bad examples you know of hatred and divisiveness and i feel i feel like we something need, needs to pull it the other way and i think that's what you're doing here right by having this podcast put that energy out into the world we only have a couple minutes left and i want to switch gears a little bit and really to speak a little bit more about your book so i'd love to hear about the writing of it? What was the process like? What surprised you when you were writing it? Writing is hard. (laughs) I've always written well, but to learn the craft of writing was a process and show not tell was something I learned, right? Hmm. Again, the, the process of writing itself helped to continue in my healing journey because it's one thing for me to tell you a story, but it's another thing to put myself back into that place and feel into it and describe the scene and the feelings of the moment. So in a way, I had to relive everything for me to be able to write it in an authentic, heartfelt way. Well, and I love it. I mean, this is this is really hearkening back to what you were describing earlier in terms of being in touch with your emotion. You know, not only do you have to be in touch with your emotion right now, but it sounds like in writing the book, you had to be in touch with your emotion back then as well. 
and it deepened my insights because I, you know, I, I'll write something and I'll say, and I felt this, and I'll stop, and I'll, and I would put myself in a reader's shoes, and I'm like, wait, why did I feel that way? That doesn't make sense hmm. because it made sense in my mind, but as I put myself in the reader's position. You know, and I was working with a writing coach. She's like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. I'm like, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> and I just take myself out of my head. I'm like, oh, and again, that's how I started realizing that's another piece of my story. That's a little bit of a blind spot that I didn't see. And so honestly, even writing the book helped me to peel back a few more layers that I had not seen. And, and I'll give you one, one line that I wouldn't have come to without my great writing coach. Her name is Jenny Nash. She's in LA. And it was around this idea that I needed to help fix people. And she said something and it led to my, my realizing that trying to heal someone else comes from a very broken place, hmm. right? If you yourself are whole and healed, you're not trying to fix someone else because wow. you're trying to do that keeps you away from your brokenness. The only person you can fix is yourself. I can't even fix my daughter, right? right? And letting go of that pull to help, to fix, that's gone now. And, yeah. and that came through writing the book as well. That is so incredibly true around none of us can fix someone else. And I am 100% positive you are not the only one who had that impulse. <laughs> and I'm 100% positive. company excluded, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Well, I do know this one person who has had to learn how to let go of that impulse as well. But I wanted to comment on a way I experienced listening to your book, and I'm curious if this was intentional, is as you narrated the book, as you got further and further into telling your story and talking about your process, there was such a visceral softening in listening to you. And I don't know that it was entirely just voice. There was something energetic. For me, I felt like I was having the experience, which I guess if I felt like I was having the experience, I was having the experience of feeling you soften. Mm. Narrating the book was more challenging than I had expected. Because again, to what I said earlier, when you are narrating, you're in this room by yourself and it's just me and my script in front of me. And I just parachuted back into the scenes and particularly the one where I finally had to admit to myself, something is wrong. And it was right before I found out that my husband had passed. And I was the one that led the effort to find him. Even talking to you now, I have to stay away from that a little bit because it's still so raw. And when I read the book, I broke down so completely. We have to go back and re-record the comments around some of those scenes because otherwise I just would have been <laughs> narrating the whole thing into tears. So yeah, it was a very emotional experience. It, it was sort of 11 or 12 hours over three days. And it did feel like I kind of went through the whole thing again. I'm glad, I'm glad it sounded like I softened. Strong Like Water, the reason why that I chose that title is, you think you guys know Lao Tzu, right? He's the father of Taoism. He wrote uh, Tao Te Ching, which is 81 verses of sort of the paradoxical nature of, of life. And one of his verses is called Be Like Water. 
And in it, he writes, but whatever is soft and yielding is more powerful than what is hard and rigid. So be like water. So for me, I feel like my journey was that I thought that being strong meant being hard and rigid and tough and unyielding. And my journey showed me that actually, if I allowed myself to be soft and yielding, that I wouldn't crumble, I wouldn't lose my strength, but that there was strength in the softness. So and if I had to kind of wrap it all up, that's really been my, my big lesson in this life. That is just gorgeous. I am just, I am so excited for everybody listening to the podcast to go either listen or read your book. The book comes out on April 13th. The Audible is available right now. I just think people will learn so much. And it just, it, I know it touched Sherry deeply. It touched me so deeply. And I remember you were actually recording in Berkeley and you came over to my house afterwards and you shared that story of how you broke down. And I, you know, I was trying to imagine it in my head, but then when I listened to it and you, I could hear the crack in your voice. I was walking my dog and I started crying. I mean, I was just like so powerful. It was just incredibly beautiful. I want to hearken back to that little girl that was helping her mom. And I'm so curious now with everything you've learned and, and your entire journey that you've been through, is there any kind of advice that you might give your younger self to really help her and prepare her for what was coming? I guess the biggest thing is I would tell her that it's all going to be okay. Yeah. I think I was so scared for so long that if I didn't do something to keep it together, it meaning life and things happening in and around me and me, that it would fall apart. And I held on to it so tightly. I think the advice is you can let go and trust and allow and be in a dance with life because it will support you. And, you know, this really comes down to faith, whatever your faith is. And I think if I had felt that, I wouldn't have held on so tightly. And I think there would have been a little more ease. And what's so beautiful is this is the gift you've given your daughter. I hope so. Yeah, I think so. I, I really think so. And it's a great feeling. It really is. Now she's a teenager, so it's not over. So we've <laughs> <laughs> got a few more years. <laughs> well, Layla, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been absolutely delightful. I, I feel so honored that I get to have these kinds of conversations with you on a regular basis. But now our listeners get to really experience that as well. Thank you. Thank you, guys. This has been really, really nice. As I mentioned, Layla's book comes out on April 13th, 2021. Her Audible is already available, and we'll put all of those details into our show notes. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And please join us next time for Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life.